welcome back to Muppets in Space, a Farscape rewatch podcast on the incomparable. Tonight, probably could guess from last time, we're going to do our next two episodes of season two. And this time around, episode seven, Home on the Remains, and episode eight, Dream a Little Dream. I'm your host, Eric Scott, and joining me as always, my fellow co-host, somebody who probably would try to eat a fried dentic if one was available, Jason Johnson. Yeah, being from the South, I'm all about fried food, but that dentic did not look edible, so I'll probably pass. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it did not taste like chicken from the look on Crichton's face. Yeah. Now, growing up, my grandfather ate a lot of things I wouldn't eat, so he'd probably be all about it, but I'm out. <laughs> yeah, anything that's grub-like, I no, I'm good. I don't need it. I used to watch all those survival shows, and that was one of the things they liked to eat was the grubs. So, yeah, hoo-hoo, because you say hoo-hoo when you eat them. I don't know, but anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the last person to talk about eating weird things. I have like like 12 things I eat, and that's it. So yeah, I'm not the adventurous uh, eater. Yeah, yeah. Just pretend it's a chicken nugget, and you'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> or something like that. All right, so let's get into our first episode. Uh, season 2, Episode 7, Home on the Remains. Food supplies on Moya have been exhausted. Well, I guess so much for all those crackers they bought a couple episodes ago. They did kind of go wild with them. Yeah, they were a little cracker-happy. Uh, in desperation, the crew are visiting the remains of a budong, a really, really, really large creature that lives in space, apparently. And apparently, this is also where Chiana once lived for a time. Uh, they're there in hopes of replenishing their supplies. However, Chiana mentions that she stole some things from her friends on there before she left, so she may not be all that welcome. Meanwhile, Crichton, as we mentioned before, is frying some dentics, only to find out that there's a reason why nobody does that. <laughs> Aaron then says she wants to leave when Zan enters. Uh, apparently Zan is budding, and she's releasing spores that kind of affects the rest of the crew, except for Aaron, and says that she must have food or she'll die. They land on the budong, and Chiana says that she has a plan to get them food when an alarm goes off, sig- signifying some kind of attack. They find out that Chiana's friend, Timon, is hurt badly. Uh, apparently too badly to live much longer, so she f- finishes him off out of, I guess, mercy. Uh, somebody named Basag enters and says that he's closed the mines until they find the Kidva, the animal that attacked Timon. He sees Chen and asks why she's here, and she tells him that her shipmates and her are dying of starvation. After being forced to hand over their weapons, Basag says that he'll feed her friends, but not her. She has used up all his charity. As the others leave, Chen is met by an old, another old friend, Altana, who she goes to eat with. Uh, while discussing old times, Altana says that she's leaving... Soon, as she's hit it big, she has found a huge vein of Nogelti crystals and wants to give Chiana half of them. Back on Moya, Aaron begins to mix a salve under Zan's instructions when Zan goes into a catatonic state. Pilot warns Aaron that Moya is beginning to go numb from Zan's spores. Meanwhile, Rachel complains about his food, so Bazaar goes to take it away, but the others say, no, 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 that's okay, we appreciate the food. Dargo uh, says that they'll work to get the meat they need for Zan, as they have no choice. Crichton takes some of the food that they did get, back up to Zan, but she grabs his hand and says that she needs meat instead. She says that for Delvians, animal proteins stop the budding cycle, as the buds have evolved for protection and will poison predators so they can be eaten. Back on the Badong, Rigel is playing a man named Vija at a game, but Vija cheats and wins, and when he realizes that Rigel has no crystals to bet with, Rigel is forced to go to the mines to work off his gambling debt. Meanwhile, Chiana attempts to charm Basog, but Dargo walks in on them, he says that they need meat now, but Basog says they must pay for it. And the only thing he wants in exchange for that is Chiana. But Dargo refuses and punches him right in the face. Basog says that he's hid all the meat and he wants Chiana for good before he'll give up the meat. Dargo and Chiana argue over what just happened and she says that she does not need another brother in her life. Dargo says that he does not want to be, he just wants to help. He will go down to the mines with Altana to get the crystals. Back on Moya, Aaron is trying to help Zan by shining some light on her, since, of course, she loves light because she's a plant. However, this time this backfires, as Zan's body believes it's under some kind of attack, and massively increases the budding and spores, while Zan accuses Aaron of trying to kill her. Meanwhile, Crichton sees Chiana talking with Basog, who says he will not negotiate how long she must stay with him. Chiana then tells Crichton where Dargo is, so Crichton goes down to the mines to get him. Moya's sensors are weakening from the spores, and if they aren't gone soon, she may be permanently blinded, Pilot says. Aaron gets Pilot to prepare a transport pod to get Zan away from Moya, so he can flush out the spores into space, but Zan has apparently vanished. Crichton finds Rigel mining a crystal and goes to drag him away. 
to help find Dargo when a whistle noise sounds and the Kidva attacks. Rigel floats up on his throne sled and Crichton jumps up and grabs it and gets just above the Kidva and won't let go. Then suddenly the whistle sounds again and the Kidva wanders off. Zan is still on Moya, budding even more. Aaron still can't find her and Pilot says that they may have to flush the atmosphere anyway to avoid Moya becoming permanently blinded. Meanwhile, as Dargo and Altana return with the crystals, the Kiva is stalking them. They talk about Chiana, and when Altana asks if they're together, Dargo says that's totally up to Chiana. Back on Moya, Aaron tells Pilot to seal off command and decompress Moya, as it's the only way to clear out the spores in time. As Aaron feels guilty, Pilot begins to repressurize Moya. Meanwhile, the Kiva attacks and kills Altana, and runs off again hearing a whistle. Further up stairs or up the Wudong, Chiana's worried about Dargo when the creature alarm goes off again. Basog tells Crichton that he found their friends too late, but managed to scare the creature off. A bloody Dargo calls out and says that he could not protect Altana, and she's dead. Tiana asks Basog how this could happen, and he says that he closed the mines and they should have stayed out. But Tiana tells Crichton that she believes he killed Altana. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Drama. Back on Moya, more drama. Zan attacks Aaron, saying that she's trying to kill her. That Aaron has always hated her, and she came to Delvia and imprisoned her, and plotted with Pilot against her. Aaron says that she's harming Moya with the spores, but Zan says she would never harm Moya, and she can't think straight. Zan asks Aaron to help her, so Aaron says that she will, and headbutts her unconscious, <laughs> and asks Pilot to prime the transport. Crichton's back in the mines and finds Basog's hidden stash of meat. Basog appears and unleashes the Kidva, which Basog says he has developed a mutually beneficial relationship with. Chiana calls for Crichton, and Basog leaves him and the Kidva alone. Then Crichton manages to trap it in some bars, killing it. Chiana finds Basog and pulls a gun on him, who says that no, she's not a killer, she won't kill him. However, she says that she's evolving, but he's persistent that he, she won't kill him in cold blood. She finally admits that, yeah, he's right, and instead shoots behind him at the Budong and hits like some kind of pus module uh, that explodes, and as it pours over his arm, it starts to smoke and shrivel, leaving him in agony, and then she leaves. So we're not quite sure if he's alive or not. No, he's really, really hurting. Back on Moya, the crew are feasting, with Zan on her fifth helping of barbecued Kidva. Chiana draws Dargo away, and Zan apologizes to Aaron for what she said earlier. Dargo joins Chiana on command, and says that she doesn't have to act around him. She says that she only lets her guard down when she feels safe. He says that she is safe, and when she questions that fact, he kisses her, and turns and walks out of the room. Chiana looks down and softly says, Whoa. The end. Some trivia about Home on the Remains. Ben Browder stated that Crichton's comment about giving his arm to Zan was a reference back to DNA Mad Scientist, where, as you might remember, the rest of the crew cut off one of Pilot's arms. Continuity. This episode was the only Farscape episode and the first piece of Muppet media to receive an 18 certificate from the British Board of Film Classification. Being American, I had no clue what that was. And according to our friend Wikipedia, that means that it's content only suitable for adults. No one younger than 18 may see an 18 film in a cinema, and nobody younger than 18 may rent or buy an 18-rated video work. So it's like an R, but worse, I guess. Yeah, pretty much you can't even, can't even get in there, I guess. John Brumpton, the actor who played Basog, originally had used an Australian Aboriginal accent, but it was changed because it sounded too much like an American Southern accent. Hmm, okay. Dave Elsey, the makeup artist, considered Basog's flesh-melting effects as gory as the ones he created for Hellraiser, which is probably why it got the 18 rating. And Crichton's method of killing the Kidva is a kind of a low-budget version of Luke Skywalker killing the Rancor in Return of the Jedi. Alright, so what did you think of Home on the Remains, Jason? So, I think it's probably mid-pack. It's, it's kind of an average episode as far as I'm concerned. It wasn't terrible. It has some good character development and some good parts to it, but I don't know. I don't know if it has to do with like the, the rating that we mentioned earlier. I'm not a big Hellraiser and, and that kind of uh, fan. But overall, I mean, like I say, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. It definitely wasn't DNA alien, DNA alien, whatever that, you know what I'm saying? DNA mad scientist. That's what I'm trying to yeah. say. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't, the, I'll get it right before we, you know, hit season four. It wasn't, it wasn't near that bad. I, I will comment. I should be started to say this when you were talking about the accent for Basag, but the American Southern accent thing made me laugh because I, I called the character boss hog throughout the entire, uh, <laughs> run so you know giving him a southern accent kind of fits with my dukes of hazard theme that i have in my head for this uh, episode now i was trying to picture who would play um like what was it was the sheriff's name i can't now i'm blanking on that but roscoe p yeah, coltrane yeah there you go yeah 
or or yeah yeah you, we're definitely in my childhood here yeah, yeah. <laughs> now having flashbacks to watching dukes of hazard on whatever that was back in growing up anyway all right which is kind of maybe better in this episode. Uh, but that's it. I mean, I, I think... Maybe, it, maybe our next rewatch after Farscape. There we go. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's never been done as a podcast before. Probably not. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this wasn't, you know, a bad episode. It wasn't a great episode. So I guess that means it was average. I, I, I did like the makeup on the humanoids anyway. I thought at least Basog, the, the way the, the camera angle was on him, you could sometimes see all the way like through it behind him from that little, like the, the gash on his upper head, which is kind of weird, but, but cool looking. Yeah, I, I will admit I, the makeup effects in this episode were really good. I think, uh, unfortunately, that made the CG, some of the CGI look even worse because, you know, the makeup was good and some of the, you could tell when they switched to CGI because it looked a little like stop motion-y. And how they zoomed in on the Kidva, uh, not Kidva, on the, um, Budong. See, there's too many weird names. I can't keep. Anyway, the, the the big giant alien dead alien thing. When they zoomed in, they kind of, kind of like it kind of like did it in stages, like like jerky, like zoom, stop, zoom, stop. You know. But speaking of that thing, you know, uh, it kind of made me think of the uh, celestial head being the location for nowhere in Guardians of the Galaxy. I thought that was kind of a. Uh, I don't. I guess that would make Guardians of the Galaxy a throwback to this, but it kind of was interesting. Yeah, and that kind of brings up like questions, like obviously this thing was alive and it's like the size of a small moon or something. So are there lots of them? You know, are they just that's no moon. flying around? Yeah. <laughs> that's no moon. That's a budong. <laughs> 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 right. But yeah, like yeah, how many of these things are out there? Are they all that big? You know, what do they eat? Like, I don't know. I have a lot of questions which aren't important for what the thing is, but it's just, you start thinking like, wow, how's this thing live? Right. Right. But um, back to the, you know, back to the good makeup. As I said, you know, the aliens look good. The only thing that did not look good to me was their big bad of the episode, the, the, this Kidva creature, which kind of looked to me more like a cut-rate gorilla costume. It, it just seemed kind of like fake, fake furry gorilla costume silly. Yeah, and I have two problems with the Kidva, and that may be really most of my issue with the episode I, I don't think it survived being on screen you know it, it was a cool off-screen monster and the whistling effect was kind of cool where he would you obviously it turned out that it was uh boss hog calling the <laughs> or whistling for him but it, it, i think it, it having it on screen lessened the threat it didn't feel as threatening as it did it's kind of like what they found with jaws right where you know the shark was more scary if you didn't see it and I, I kind of wish they'd stuck to that here instead of having him on screen as much as it was. Yeah, because down in the mines, when it was like stalking Dargo and Altara, it did look kind of ominous. Like all you saw was like a silhouette, like in the background, it was, it was dark, you know, this big kind of hulking thing. And then when you see it, it's like, that looks like, you know, a 70s Doctor Who creature, you know, like that, that kind of budget. Like, <laughs> which, which is actually why that, that doesn't work for me because it, it also gives you a power level issue with Dargo's fighting ability and this not very scary looking creature because you know Dargo's our, our main warrior and we've seen him you know fight and be successful and and you know all this kind of stuff and then here comes this uh scary I use that in quotes you know, <laughs> that wasn't scary gorilla looking thing and uh it takes him down right I mean it's it's I just that, that didn't work for me as far as you know going against Dargo. Maybe going against Crichton, but going against Dargo just didn't seem like that was as a threat as threatening as it looked. Yeah, I mean, like the only way you can kind of head cannon it was like maybe it got the drop on him and you know hurt him quick, and then he couldn't really defend himself. Whereas then you see later Crichton's kind of like just jumping around it, like like Jedi flipping over it. I'm like, okay, whatever. And then he, you know, speaking of Jedi, then he ramps his head back and forth into the you know, door with spikes on it to kill it. I'm like, okay, well, well. Well, and, and not to beat the dead horse, but... Or dead Kiva. Or dead Kiva. Dead Kiva. <laughs> you got me there. Uh, I was going for it. <laughs> if Yargo's whole point of being down in the mine was to protect her from the Kiva, Kiva yeah. then nice job. getting yeah. the drop on him doesn't work. Right. He's, he's, he's a bad guard. I, I, again, that, that's probably my hang up with the big bad here is I just, I didn't like the, the setup there. Uh, whereas it was off screen and scary, it probably would have worked. So, but then you couldn't have had Crichton Jedi flip over it. So, you know, take your pick. Yeah, and he was too busy talking about his his love life or, or lack of love life with Janna to pay attention to big nasty things lurking around. Maybe talk about that after you're out of the mind. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> I guess you're bored down there. You're just staring at nothing, and you see the same 
corridors or wherever they were, which another weird question about a Budong is, do they have like corridors? Like anyway, but yeah. And um, I guess the whole main point of this whole episode was now the crew is starving. They went from like thousands of crackers that we were joking about a couple episodes ago to, and then making, you know, all this food and all these dinners for everybody. And now they got nothing left. And, and, you know, I guess granted they were eating those crackers, like there was no tomorrow. So, you know, I guess they can only do that for so long before no more crackers. Yeah. The, the, what I, my takeaway was evidently crackers do matter, but I'm bummed. And uh, <laughs> I, I chalked it up, you know, a lot of the, them running out as being a long time between episodes because we don't really, I don't think they say, you know, how long it's been, but if it's been long enough for them to run out of all those crackers, then I'm guessing we've got some time space between episodes. Speaking of the food though, I do want to, I did uh, not mention this when we were talking about it in the recap, but the, uh, when they're eating the food, the first time Dargo makes a comment about maybe it'd be better if it was fried. And I, referencing John frying the, the dentic. And I, I laughed at that because it, it shows that he and John have still got that relationship they built throughout season one. So I, I do like some of the callbacks you get, not, not specifically to points, but to character development. Yeah. I mean, they, they do keep, you know, some of those threads going that they built over the last, you know, what, 30 shows now or whatever. And we do learn a couple of new things about, you know, our main characters. You know, apparently Delvians, when they're really, really hungry, start budding and popping spores everywhere. Which not a good thing when I guess the rest of your crew is not delving also and starts making them talk like they have a bad head cold and and then getting more paranoid and catatonic and tr- threatening and all that good stuff. So it's kind of interesting, you know. Could learn more stuff about Zan and Delvians. Yeah, and as somebody who grew up on a farm with allergies, uh, I could relate to a lot of their symptoms there. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do enjoy the fact that they're they're playing up her being a plant this season, right? Because they really didn't dwell on it a whole lot last season they focus a lot on her priesthood and that that kind of background but they didn't really now that they've had the reveal that she's actually is a plant which we suspected it that they're consistently bringing that up which is kind of a nice marker to just say yeah we know you know this we're gonna keep going yeah it's kind of cool that they made it you know she needed animal protein to stop the budding so you know she's a, a plant that eats animals which we, we have things like that here like you know venus fly traps that kind of thing so it's kind of fun to kind of like blow that up to like a sci-fi kind of concept and you know keep reminding us that while there are similarities it's not our universe so yeah now, now i'm thinking like you know so what were they eating before was they eating meat before or was she eating like where they had which you know crackers or crackers it's you know like but that's kind of, they were but, actually but, pro, they were protein crackers yeah. it's okay they were protein crackers but that's also kind of plant plantish right it's based off of like wheat or kind of flour kind of stuff so like is she eating it's, it's not cannibalism because you know we eat meat and we're not cannibals but you know anyway just maybe this makes we don't think. know what the, we don't know what they make crackers out of though that's right well because they don't matter but now they do but but they don't <laughs> crackers are people man <laughs> and i guess we learned a little bit more about chiana uh, that her and her brother at one point used to live on this padong uh, we don't, they don't explain how they got there but they were there long enough i guess to make some close friends uh, i guess close enough to have somebody like altana offer to give chiana like half a gigantic horde of these i guess expensive or or worth a lot crystals to sell to get food or to escape the Budong or whatever. Which I started to say they never explained, but maybe that's how they got all the meat was they never went back and, I mean, they could, they, they could have went back and harvested those crystals, right? I mean, that was technically Chiana's find now that uh, Altana's no longer there. Yeah, I'd be curious to see if they did take any with them and then, you know, will that show up later when they're trying to buy stuff? I don't know. I, I can't imagine Rigel leaving them, but yeah, you know. if, if it's if it's truly like currency or something that's worth money in these parts of the uncharted uncharted territories, yeah, that's what yeah, that's what we call. But yeah, maybe they'll reference it later. Although they at least have you know this gigantic bad gorilla Kiva to eat for a while, so yeah, maybe it keeps longer than crackers. Yeah, well, apparently we learned last ep- last episode that they have a freezer on board, so I guess they can freeze it you know for later. So. If it if it still works after that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, assuming it doesn't burst into flames when they put it in the. Combination freezer broiler. Yeah. And I guess going down our let's learn new things about characters. Apparently, Dargo and Chiana might soon become a couple. Like kind of Aaron and John are and aren't kind of whenever they decide to do that plot line. So, you know, there's a nice boyfriend-girlfriend-ish squabbling and some jealousy apparently with the episode. Because, you know, Dargo just basically decked Basog when he kind of made eyes or said, I want Chiana back. And he just, nope. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, and you know, if, if you think about a crew like this being stuck on Moya for as long as they have been, it's it's kind of realistic to to have these pairings, and hopefully they don't drag it out too long because again, we've, we've got a lot of time and we're stuck in space. So I think you're you're stuck in a bottle, right? So you've got a you've got the characters you've got, and I think that makes sense to have the pairings happen. Yeah, which just leaves Rigel and Pilot uh, on their own. Okay. And speaking well, of, well, Rigel's already got like thirty wives or something. So yeah, so he's probably good. He probably, he's probably happy to be away from them. Yeah. <laughs> no offense to our wives, we we love our wives. They don't listen to the podcast, but anyway. And speaking of Rigel, uh, apparently he got out cheated at a game because I think somebody said, well, "Didn't you cheat?" He's like, "Of course I cheated," but I guess the other guy cheated better. <laughs> and it's kind of funny that he has to then get his hands dirty by becoming a crystal miner to try to pay up his gambling laws. Yeah, it, and I found it interesting that, that John discouraged him from continuing to dig out the gym because half the reason they were there was to get food, and that gym could have gone towards getting them food. So I don't know. It, it's, the, the plot focus kind of wandered a little there, but yeah, it was it was you know consistently Rigel. So. Yeah, and maybe I guess they wanted to go find Dargo and the other woman. Maybe that's more important. And, and Boss Hogg could have found him by himself. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Apparently he did find them because he sicked the uh, Kiva on them, but... I guess speaking of Boss Hog or Basog, however you want to pronounce that. So the ending, I have some questions well, or comments on, I guess. So Basog says that Shiana is not a killer. And so far to this point, I don't think we've seen that. Although it wasn't clear when we first got introduced to her, did she kill her fellow, um, I don't say countrymen, planetmen, whatever, her, her fellow, whatever species is. Uh, when they first met, you know, he was holding her hostage. You know, he was keeping her as a prisoner. So we weren't quite sure that she was when they killed him or not. We don't know, but... So she kind of says that, yeah, I'm not a killer, but I'm I'm evolving. But then she shoots that pus pocket, or whatever you want to call it, which gets on him and starts melting him like those you know poor guys in Birds of the Lost Ark, right? So yeah, she didn't kill him, probably. We don't see what happened to him, and he's not like later when they go up, back up to the top. He's, he's not there. So if he's not dead, he's pretty much maimed for life, which I guess you could say he deserved that. But yeah, I go with killing because based on the the friend of hers that was, they died just as soon as they arrived on the location, the planet, the whatever you call this thing in space, settlement. It seems that once you get exposed to that, it's kind of, you're down. So uh, maybe not, but it it does seem that, that yeah, he's going to die, or at least, like you say, main for life. And that puts it kind of as an indirect killing, which doesn't count as killing in their code. Or, you know, like you say, she's is, is she actually a killer? I mean, again, I, I don't necessarily think that, there's an issue with it other than she had him at gunpoint. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. far she's two for two on the uh, questionable or we're not sure yet. Like the, the hinting that she might have a darker side kind of thing. So, okay. That's cool. Whatever. Yeah. Adds a little, yeah. a little something, you know, to the mystique, you know, around her. So, all right. Anything else about home? Uh, just, just to, to bring up the question of, cause I think the answer is no. Uh, there was no mention of the episode title in the episode, right? They didn't, they didn't name check it. Yeah, no, not this time. Okay. They, they, do, so. they do next time briefly before we go into the real episode, which we'll talk about. But Yeah, so for those keeping score at home, this was a, a, a no. Yeah, so if, you, yeah, if you're playing along with us at home, you know, that, nope, no no name drop. Yeah, no, but that's it. I, I think we've, we've covered this one pretty good. It was for, you know, we talked it up pretty good for a... Uh, overall average average yeah <laughs> and that's, that's how we do things we're like oh this could be a bad episode so we're, we'll, it'll be a short podcast and we talk for an hour and a half so you know whatever you know it's yeah we, we could at least find something in in any kind of episode to at least talk about it more than just be like yeah here's a recap it sucked okay next episode <laughs> well as we say we say quite often at least when we're talking about the show at least they're consistent with character development and that's what this, this show really drives itself with so as long as the characters are moving forward, you can take ups and downs in the episodes. Yep, I agree. All right, so we'll move on to episode eight, Dream a Little Dream. The episode begins just after Moya was forced to starburst away from the asteroid field following the destruction of Gamic Base at the end of season one. A little bit of a flashback there. Leaving Crichton, Aaron, and Dargo stranded. This time, events play differently from before. After Dargo loses consciousness, Aaron finds herself under heavy fire from Peacekeeper forces. Unable to shake them off, she is killed when her prowler is destroyed. Crichton doesn't 
get time to mourn as the visor of his EB suit shatters, exposing him to the vacuum of space. Zan suddenly wakes up from her nightmare aboard a malfunctioning transport pod with Crichton trying to fix a problem. Turns out, Rigel left food in the engines, and the damage is so bad that they'll have to wait to be picked up. Yeah, and they actually call it the, what, fried Kidva or something. So, yeah, call back to at least to last episode. So, there you go. Yeah, which is an interesting continuity given the flashback. So, we may discuss that a little bit. So, Crichton then starts singing Dream a Little Dream. Hey, name drop. That sounds familiar. Zan says that that she was and tells him that she keeps seeing him die and asks if he knows what happened on Litgarit. Litigara? Yeah, we'll go with that. Yep. Crichton tells her that Chiana and Rigel didn't want to talk about it, so she decides to tell him the tale. They search for 20 solar days on every planet that Eren could possibly have reached in her prowler. Everyone was very worried, and Moya was anxious to start looking for Talon. The final planet they came to was Litgara. On the planet of Litigara, Zan asks the barman if he's seen two Sebations and a Luxon. Hmm. I guess nobody knows what a human is. And the barman responds that he hasn't. Rigel is drunk and Chana is playing with the locals. Zan grabs them and leaves, calling Pilot, who says that Moya is demanding that they return so she can continue the search for her offspring. Zan goes to cross the road when the light indicates that she can, but she is hit by a vehicle. Police come and arrest her to to Chiana and Rigel's objections, saying that she'll pay for her crime. Pilot tells Chiana that Moya is ready to leave, and she must tell Zan. Chiana goes to see Zan in jail. Zan says that she shouldn't have come, and then her lawyer appears. Uh, He says that she can expect the minimum sentence, which is 10 solar days. Chiana suggests getting another lawyer, and he responds that they're welcome to try. Over 90% of the population are lawyers. Zan tells Chiana that she and Rigel must get out of there, and then she attacks her lawyer. A man called Jaruman is speaking to another man over the comm and says that even though it's not safe for the man to be out that night, they found the perfect subject. Meanwhile, back in her cell, Zan sees Crichton, Dargo, and Aaron come to her to get her out of the cell. But before they do, they disappear. Turns out they're hallucinations. Hallucination Crichton comes through the bars and sits next to her, Zan. She tells him that she wishes he and the others were there because she's alone and afraid and she needs them. Rigel and Chiana are like children, and without the others, she can't be responsible for everyone. Crichton's image vanishes when a woman comes up to her cell and opens the door, giving her a map to the transport. She says the guards will return soon, so this is Zan's only chance to escape. But as Zan runs and sees Rigel and Chiana, she trips over a dead body, and police arrive just then to arrest her. Only this time, the charge is for murder. Dun, dun, dun. Drama. Her lawyer says that the man she killed was a rising advocate for the utilities, which are the 10% of the population who aren't lawyers. The charge is that she murdered him with her bare hands. When Chiana asks what happens next, he says that in three solar days, she will be executed. In court, Rigel explains to Chiana that Litigara is run by law firms, and the one currently in power is run by Ja Ruman. The judge is about to give the verdict when Zan asks if it matters that she is innocent. She says that she is guilty of many evils, but this is not one of them. Her counsel says that this was not discussed and he will not represent her in a plea of not guilty. The judge says that she can't change her plea without representation, so Chiana objects. Zen tells her to return to Moya, but she, she and Rigel say they'll represent her, which the judge allows. Later, Chiana tells Rigel that if they fail, they will share the same punishment as the client. Chiana and Rigel are in the bar researching when a lawyer has a has a go at one of the bar staff. The barman tells Chiana that he's a lawyer and it's his right. That's why Wesley Ken, the man who was murdered, was so important as he was fighting for the utility's rights. He says that their law system wasn't always complicated and gives them the axiom, the book that all other law books are based on. He says it's the only book that they need to read. Aaron is now in Zan's cell, another hallucination, and asks why Zan left them. Had she waited a few microns, they would have all been back. Back in court, Zan confesses and says she is guilty. As the judge is about to sentence her, Rigel steps in and says that her counsel does not concur with the guilty plea, and Chiana insists that she be gagged. The judge agrees, and the trial proceeds. Rigel and Chiana cross-examine various witnesses, including the officer on patrol, who says he found Zan kneeling over the murdered body. Later in the bar, doing further research, Chiana tells Pilot that they need more time. 
but he says that Moya will only give them one revolution of the planet. Janna notices the officer who arrested Zan, who had a burn, has a burned face. The bartender says that, that he has blue eyes and that it was a dual full moon the other night. Litigarians with blue eyes usually stay in because that burns them. Janna goes to speak with him and says that they're pleading guilty tomorrow before fishing for information. Rigel asks the bartender about the light of truth mentioned in the axiom, and he says that it goes back to the very origin of the law, a burning torch that burns brighter when held up to someone meant that they were lying. Rigel gets an idea and shows the barman a picture of the murdered man. In court, Chana is suffering from a hangover, so Rigel gives her some pills to help, but she takes them all at once, and they make her really hyper, forcing Rigel to take over. He asks the doctor about the burn that the blue-eyed litigarians get from the dual full moon. Chana then asks the officer why he was burned, but not the victim. The officer reveals that he used to work as security for Ja Ruman's law firm. After the session, Pilot tells Chana that Moya is not listening and is about to leave. As Chana walks on, she gets caught in an electronet and is taken to Ruman. He threatens her to stop her line of questioning, or he says she will be faced with charges, false charges. He said it's all about utility rights, and her calm is destroyed. He tells her that she won't return to the ship unless he allows it. Zan is being strapped up when she sees Dargo, another hallucination, who encourages her to take up the Delvian Seek again, saying that she is the strongest individual he's ever seen, ever known. Meanwhile, Chana returns to the cell where Rigel is with Zan. Chana uses his comm to contact Pilot, who says that Moya has chosen to give them more time. As her comm was open the whole time, she was speaking with Ruman. Rigel says that he thinks they can win, but it will involve deception and trickery, their specialties. In court, Chiana calls Ruman to the stand and talks about the oath they take with their hand on the axiom. Rigel asks him under oath if he knows about the murder. He says that he knows no more than any other citizen, namely that Zan did it. Chiana breaks a chair and designates one of the legs as the light of truth. Ruman says that it's a parable, but Rigel said it, that it says so in their most sacred book. Chiana says that it's ordinary wood, but near a witness under oath, it reacts with special properties. Chiana lights the leg on fire, and asks if finding an off-worlder to blame the death on would benefit his firm, and he agrees, hypothetically speaking. Rigel says that the victim didn't get burned, and Chana adds that the victim must have been killed elsewhere and brought to the alley knowing Zan would be there. He says, hypothetically, yes. Rigel tells Pilot now under his breath, and Chana asks if he's speaking hypothetically. Ruman says yes, but Moya projects light, and with each lie, the light gets stronger. Rigel asks if the judge will believe a guilty man or the symbol of her world. She orders Ruman arrested and drops all charges against Zan. Back in the present, Zan tells Crichton that they left immediately following the case and found them soon after, but despite this, she keeps seeing them die even though they're alive. She says that the experience showed her that her spirituality was lacking, but he says that since she recommitted herself to the Sikh, it may have been worth it. Moya arrives to pick them up, and Crichton asks Zan if she's okay. She thanks him for his compassion, and he thanks her for hers. A little bit of trivia about this episode. It was originally entitled Reunion and slated to open season two. This was changed, and Mind the Baby became the season premiere. A new beginning and end were filmed to make the episode a flashback, and it was moved to the middle of the season. Three major changes were made to the original episode for this version. An opening sequence in which Zan, which Zan and Pilot comfort each other in their stress over the loss of Aaron, John, and Dargo is cut, as is the original epilogue, which established Zan's re-entry in, into being a Pio. In addition, the original version of the episode had Rigel having the nightmare with John's head exploding. The episode fills in a few blanks with regards to the events in Mind the Baby, specifically explaining why Zan spends most of the episode in an apparent trance, what Chana was referring to when she mentioned a trial, and why Zan initially thought she was hallucinating Crichton when he returned, as she had hallucinated him in the prison cell. Also, according to Ben Browder, none of the singing scenes in this episode, nor in the rest of season two, were in the script. The script was one of the first four scripts that we wrote, according to Rotney O'Bannon. In fact, it was actually the script that sold the, original, the series originally. Rod Perth at the Sci-Fi Channel was looking for scripts for sci-fi shows and somehow had gotten the script for Space Chase through my agent, who was also his agent. However, they hadn't sent him the pilot, so they sent him a couple of the other ones, and the original version of Dream a Little Br Dream was the first one that he read. 
it was a very funny, loopy episode about a planet completely made up of lawyers. He really liked it, so he called up and asked if there was a pilot, including the one on the show. So they sent over the pilot, and he read that and decided to buy the show. So uh, what'd you think, Eric? Yeah, we'll get into it some of the, the I guess differences because of the editing and where they place the episode, but it was kind of interesting a little bit. Um, it, it was quite the departure from their usual kind of stories that they've done, which you know that's kind of the fun things about sci-fi that you can do. Like sci-fi, science fiction is not like a story; it's like a framework, right? So you can tell kind of any kind of story with a sci-fi twist. Like in this case, our murder mystery and like you know space law and order. Right, but I am kind of glad. Speaking of the continuity stuff, that the, the trivia made it kind of clear that this was supposed to be the first episode of season two, because it just seemed kind of odd, like how they had the initial scene of Crichton and Zan, and then like, oh, what happened back then? And oh, let me just flash back and show you what happened, and then off to Lawyer World. I agree. I think it helped knowing that it was one of the first written because the Lawyer wo- Lawyer World, as you call it, had an off kind of odd fit to the rest of the series, right? But I also think that's an interesting point that I hadn't really thought of about science fiction because that's, again, not to make this a Marvel show, but that's one of the things that I think the Marvel has done really well with their cinematic universe is they figured out that you can take the superhero framework and fit different genres of movies into it. You know, sci-fi, heist, spy movies, all this kind of stuff, and just put the superhero framework around it. And I think you can you do the same thing for science fiction, and this show takes advantage of that by having the different episodes be different. You know, you could kind of classify the last one as an attempt at horror. And now this one was kind of an attempt at zany lawyer hijinks, <laughs> shenanigans. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's when you think about it, like a whole planet full of lawyers or well, almost all lawyers. Yeah. That's an odd thing, which again, not something we haven't seen in sci-fi. Like there's those monolith cultures where like you see like two or three people and that's like the whole planet is like that. So, okay. You know, planet full of lawyers, cute idea. Don't think too hard on it because how they keep employed they just sue each other do they have lots of off-world business we don't know obviously there's off-worlders like zan those guys so they, they know they've met other other um species or other races but yeah don't don't think about it too much yeah that yeah i mean i that, that you made me think back to was it jeremiah Crichton or whatever that would the the episode was where he was on the, the planet with the tribal culture yeah um and living by the river but i think it's also an interesting way to show in their society that the it was almost a uh an elites versus the non-elites right you have the um your elite white collar society who's trying to keep the the blue collar class in their place and that's always kind of a neat spin to bring up in any show because it holds it holds up as you know it's relatable to our culture because as we become more technological we have the same issue with you know blue collar white collar and how that affects our society and the number of jobs, right? Not to make it a, get too real with it, but it, it always, and, you know, sci-fi is a great construct for taking those things and throwing them into the extremes. Yeah, you know, and it's, you know, it's not far case mission like, you know, Star Trek to have like societal stuff wrapped up in a full you sci-fi package and, you know, make you not think about it. But yeah, you, you can see where they kind of can do that kind of thing. They, they take those elements, wrap them all together into this little murder mystery upper against lower class or kind of thing. So. And, well, and, and, right. and, and throw in the typical comedy stuff here and there too. Yeah. And that's why I think it works really well in this, in this show, right? It's because they don't, I mean, they don't even wrap it up, right? He gets arrested, but you don't need a, you don't need a closure. They left before they found out what happened, right? It, because it doesn't matter. They, they got their laughs. It was a fun episode. We can move on. We don't need to, to have the big wrapping done like you probably would in Star Trek. Yeah. And it's also kind of ironic. I don't know if they planned it this way or just kind of happened that, the three biggest characters on our crew that have issues with the law are right in the middle of all of it. You know, Rigel, who likes to steal things, Gianna, who also likes to steal things, and even your, your former self-proclaimed leading anarchist on her homeworld, Zan. Right? So, you know, let's throw them yeah. on top of, you know, you know, legal issues and cops and lawyers and jail time and yeah, which you know, and again, I know this is one of the reasons they didn't make this the the opening episode of the season was because your your three of your main characters are missing, right? I mean, they've got some some hallucination and a little bit of flashback for Crichton, but we get a lot of a lot of the other three characters in this, which is good. But it it, it and I kind of forget even that that Zan was the anarchist. I think that's a good point because if I had to have a nitpick with this episode, I get frustrated with how passive Zan is, right? She. She spends a lot of the episode being 
not overly concerned because obviously she thinks that she's concerned about getting back to Crichton and the rest of the group and finding out what happened to him. But yeah, she's just so distressed that she's, she's sidelined, right? She's, she's there in the courtroom, but she's not that participant. It's basically Rigel and, and Chan are running this whole show. So I, th- I think that's, that just seem, didn't seem to match her character, what we know of her being the anarchist to me, but it did let us focus on the other two characters. Yeah. Cause you know, at first she did kind of stick up for herself. Like, you know, I'm innocent, so you know I'm, I'm guilty of lots of things, but not this. So it's like she's trying to fight, and then either all those visions or nightmares, whatever you call them, maybe just like wore her down. She's like, okay, fine, forget it. I'm I'm guilty. Kill me. I'm done. But yeah, it was kind of like to go from that to that in, in such a short time. I was like, whoa, that's a little extreme. Yeah, and and you know, not again. I guess maybe having a little bit of a Zan back the back to back episodes where Zan was sidelined. For most of the show just kind of seems weird to me because and i realized they weren't written that way this was supposed to go first but we've got you know both these episodes she was going through some kind of issue where the character the, the the character was not heavily involved in the story because of reason yeah because plot and yeah i mean i, I kind of do agree that they this should not have been the season two leadoff episode because it just didn't have that that punch or that resolution i mean i i guess it could have been some drama because they left, you know, three of our characters hanging. Like, are they alive, dead? You know, obviously not, but maybe a short series. But yeah, it's kind of like the rest of it's kind of like, you know, you, you do care about those three things. Like those three characters, like what's happening to them? Where are they? Why are we off on Lawyer World? And what's going on with Talon and, and Crace and all kind of stuff. So I'm glad that they reshuffled the schedule and at least still kept what they, I don't know if they shot this first or then went back and edited things or what, but it's kind of good. They, they put this where they put it and put mine the baby up front because that was much better than this. I, I get that from a, especially if you, you know, in real time, right. Where you, we, people have waited all off season. You know, it's easy for me to say, because I, I watched, you know, we went straight into season two after season one. So yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. But Ooh, cliffhanger. Ooh, Ooh, cliffhanger next. <laughs> okay. Cliffhanger solved. Okay. Yeah. The beauty of, uh, of, you know, rewatches, but I, I get why they did it, but I kind of would have liked to have seen it back there because it, it would have made me. It would have added to the drama of the Crichton, Aaron Dargo hallucinations, right? Because we know they're fine. We know, we know this is a flashback. We've dealt with them since then. So there's no drama to those flashbacks, where those hallucinations, rather. Whereas if this had actually taken place where it was in the schedule originally, then the hallucinations would have been more meaningful because we don't know their state. Yeah, and I guess it would have been something new, probably that not many other series would have done, right? Like, oh, let's kind of like shelve the big cliffhanger, sort of, and just kind of talk about something else. So, I mean, it, it could have been a good move, or a, well, I should say a bold move. Still, might have been a good move, but it would definitely. Would have, I, I agree. You know. It would have been funny though. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, we, we all know who cares. You know, <laughs> let's talk. And, uh, yeah, I guess if we're nitpicking stuff here and there, the only kind of thing I had to nitpick about this one would be the the ending, like, or well the ending of this episode not the wraparound so moya shined light from her down to the courtroom but was the courtroom like open air or was there a skylight like how did the light get in there <laughs> and then was it shining on the chair leg or was it just shining in the room so they just kind of as it got brighter and brighter people just assumed it was the chair leg on fire getting brighter yeah i think it was that just that bright but my my actual thought on this was also that they made such a big deal about the deception. If you if you practice deception, you know, as far as I, I, I guess if you can't lie, but you know, it was a fine line between the deception and the lie, because obviously people who were outside the room know where the light came from. I and mean, if it was that bright in the room, then it, it was obviously visible to somebody outside that it was shining down from the sky into the room, and it wouldn't have taken long for them to figure out that the the gig was up and. I guess that's why they left so quick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Like, yeah, someone's like, oh, wow, you're arresting that guy? Why? Oh, well, that was amazing. The, the light of truth, you know, shine bright. And like, wait, you mean that big thing that came from up, up in the sky somewhere? What? Hey, where'd everybody go? <laughs> you, know, so, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, so who knows? Maybe Jeruman's now acquitted, you know, you know, a, a mistrial, right? And then he's back to doing whatever he's doing to, you know, frame the, the utility class or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They, they really didn't affect the power structure. They just got out of there. <laughs> yeah, because I guess the, the way they were cutting around stuff or maybe cutting things out to do the other scenes to make it fit in. I mean, I, I, it obviously makes more comedic and character sense that, you know, Chiana and Rigel would resort to what they do best, trickery and lying, to get their way out of it. 
but at first I was kind of thinking that when Pilate said that he and Moya heard the bribery and threats from Jeruman through Chiana's comm, that maybe they recorded it, right? And that, you know, they're going to, you know, have this big scene where, you know, they're cross-examining him on the stand and he's saying, no, it's not, you know, it's all like you see it. And then she's like, ha ha, how about this recording? And then drop it on him like that. You know, that, that would be cool. But then again, lying and cheating and stealing, that's their, that's their thing. So I guess play to your strengths, right? Yeah, I, I had the exact same thought about recording that conversation. I mean, that would have been the obvious play, you know, just to have Pilot transmit down the, the recording and they could just play it back in the courtroom. But it was kind of 50-50 to me because I also saw the Chekhov's burning stick coming because the bartender mentioned it earlier. It got mentioned earlier in the story, either way. So I was like, oh, yeah, there's, you know, that's a Chekhov mark, uh, moment. They're, they're, they're setting that up. But they set up the conversation, which really only accomplished keeping Moya in orbit. So Yeah, so it did help with that. But, yeah, they, they kind of hung that literal lantern on the uh, chair, chair leg. Which, yeah, I mean, when we talk about, you know, this was the only book that you need. Okay, well, then that's the only thing you talk about of the book is the light of truth. Okay, fine. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it kind of stands the reason that if you have a planet full of lawyers and one tiny law book, that, of course, they would make, like, another 37 volumes of law to keep themselves busy, right? Not just stick with their little pamphlet law book, right? Yeah. I, I, I wonder if there's any real life that inspired that. Yeah. I wonder where that could possibly have a reason, like all those weird blue laws that they repeal every now and then, but you know, you can't have your horse in a bathtub, you know, and that kind of, you know, whatever, <laughs> all those silly things that they make up. You know, so. I don't know, man, if you've ever had a horse in a bathtub, you probably would want a law against it. Yeah. Or at least have a good, <laughs> good cleaning service after that, I guess. Uh, but I guess we do have, you know, our usual, let's look at some character stuff. So not really much with Rigel and Chiana. So we, we do have a little bit of Zan, like we said before, like she was a little passive or a little weird, but, at least they explained that, you know, she was trying to get back into the Delvian Seek, you know, to get back to her more calm, priestly, serene state that she was for most of season one. So it's good that she's still having issues. You know, it's, it's good to have that, you know, through line still going forward that, you know, she's still working on her, her calmness, her, her, her centering, you know. Yeah, I think I've already, you know, expressed my dislike of her being sidelined in two episodes back to back, but... Again, keeping in mind where this was supposed to be, I do think it does a good job of explaining her state at the beginning of uh, season two, right? If, if you if you put that in context of where it actually happened, then we now have an explanation for her being in the in the meditation like she was at the beginning of the season. So, yeah, that's my only other gripe is that they they, they cut out things that, in the grand scheme of things, didn't really matter. Like they're they're trying to go with you know the, the guy was murdered by another guy, you know. But he he's, he also had blue eyes, and so he would have been burned by the sun by the moons. But he wasn't. But the one guy was. So obviously he dropped the body there or something like that. So they kind of cut that out. But in the grand scheme of things, it didn't really matter. But at least they do explain, or at least the, the trivia explains anyway, like how the parts that you saw and mind the baby kind of fit in with like what happened here. It's like oh okay, that's why she was doing that, or oh that's why she thought Crichton was an hallucination. <laughs> you know, she's like, yeah. oh yeah, John, sure, whatever. You know. <laughs> Which was funny back then, but we didn't really know the full context. Now it's kind of even funnier. Right. That's, that's, I guess that's my point. I would have liked some of those little scenes to be included, but yeah, there's only so much time, so it works. Yeah, and in the grand scheme of things, like I said, it didn't really matter. You know, the, the, no. the lawyer plot was just there to just be there. You know, it wasn't really, you didn't really have to go with all the legal eagle wrangling that they cut out probably. So yeah, it worked out, I guess. Yep. Uh, and I guess just to kind of finish, even though we kind of mentioned it earlier, this, this uh, episode did get the great name drop. Uh, at the beginning, so I, I always enjoy that. So especially a, a, a musical one. Yeah, you know, he, he sang the song, which I thought might possibly be a reason why the song, the show, was named that. So there you go, cool. And we have more singing coming apparently. So look forward to that, I guess. All right, I guess that's probably maybe we get a whole musical episode, you know, Buffy style. Anyway, yeah, no, anyway, that could be interesting. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was about this time of the early two thousands that they were doing a special episode or whatever, right? So who knows? Maybe. Although having pilots, wait, wait, that'd be, anyway, it could be fun. I want the Rigel solo, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. He's floating on his chair singing. All right, so I guess wrapping up, uh, yeah, I mean, these were average episodes. You know, like we said before, not not fantastic, not terrible, you know, ish, uh, which is fine. And, you know, I kind of talked about Dream of the Dream was a little confusing because they were, you know, chopping parts out to put in the cutting scenes to make it fit in where it was now versus then but overall yeah, 
they were good. I enjoyed them. You know, my mind didn't wander off and thinking about other things like prior episodes of the season has. So I talked about it as a, as a thumbs up then. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that I was obviously um, pretty clearly less impressed with Home on the Remains. Uh, but I did enjoy Dream a Little Dream, uh, even with the confusing placement and some of the other parts getting moved around. Getting uh, getting to plug it into the backstory and then, again, I, I, a crime room drama is, is you know kind of fun. I enjoy those anyway. So Yeah, they did a pretty good job of you know using what they already shot, which I'm assuming they shot this first, and then just reworking it adding a couple of scenes here and there. So, you know, you don't let a whole episode go to waste that you've spent money on in filming. So, you know, good job shoehorning it in now, there. Now, now with this murder mystery, I really want the next one to be like uh, murder on the Orient Express or something like that. So we can get the full. Yeah. Murder on the Moya Express. Yeah. Uh, they could be rob- like taking a trip on a train somewhere or something. Anyway, we, our, our, we can script that out later. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of later, your homework for next time will be, Season 2, Episode 9, Out of Their Minds, and Episode 10, My Three Crichtons. So, I guess, keeping with the uh, the routine, the, the ceremony here of guessing what that means, I, hopefully they're pretty, looks like they're hopefully pretty straightforward this time. You know, Out of Their Minds sounds like some kind of maybe mind swap, like they're out of their mind. Or, the obviously, you know, what the phrase is, out, out of your mind, maybe one or more of them go crazy somehow, for whatever reason. Episode ten. I, I I love the title. I I, I laughed out loud when I saw it in the in the list. You know, my three Crichtons. That's you know obviously my three sons, right? So somehow there's three Crichtons. I'm guessing whether there's like clones or like alternate reality or time travel versions, maybe something like that. I, yeah, I think I'll uh, I'll go with the something they interact with causes them to go to act crazy for the first one, for out of their minds. And if I'm gonna try to be different on the last, the, the my three Crichtons, I'd say maybe they he comes in contact with something or gets hit with something that splits him into three different physical representations of his personality, right? Kind of the the Superman, whatever kryptonite that was, that, that kind of split the Superman and Clark Kent, you know, kind of the same thing, only you get different different Crichtons that have the different parts of his personality or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah and, and then they've, to... they've dropped into the Star Trek kind of stuff before, so maybe that was like the, the enemy within when Kirk had the transporter accident and had like good Kirk and bad Kirk, so... Well, and you had what was, uh, again, not a Star Trek podcast, but uh, the one where Riker gets caught in the buffer and they actually come up with two Rikers. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, you know, John pops out of a wormhole and, and there's John again and another John. Who, kn- who knows? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. This show has wormholes. It's that's been right. a while yeah. since we had a wormhole. <laughs> yeah, it's time to bring the wormholes back to remind you that there's wormholes, right? So, All right. So that is your homework for next time. And we will see you then. Goodbye.